Welcome to Share Public Health, the Midwestern Public Health Training Center's podcast, connecting you to public health topics, issues, and colleagues throughout our country, highlighting that we all share in public health. Thank you for tuning in to the series of interviews with public health leaders as we learn about different perspectives on current and emerging public health issues. Today, Suzanne Holly from Wichita State University talks with Jennifer McKeever of the National Network of Public Health Institutes about how our stories impact our work and the value of authenticity. Hello, welcome to the Public Health Leadership Series. My name is Suzanne Hawley and we're with the Midwestern Public Health Training Center. Today I have the pleasure of talking to a real public health leader, learning about public health skills and ideas from a personal perspective. So thank you for joining us. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, it's really great to be here. And um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into public health. Sure. Um, so as you know, uh, right now I work with an organization called the National Network of Public Health Institutes. Um, and at that organization, I'm a director for a national coordinating center for public health training. Um, we work with regional training centers based at accredited schools of public health across the country and our common mission is to ensure that the workforce has access to high quality learning opportunities. Um, so I actually sort of came to public health by accident, um, if you will. I, I studied um, Spanish and French in undergrad um, and wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with my life um, after that. I actually applied for jobs in human resources because at the time, at 22, I thought that that meant resources for humans and this is something you can do to help out humans and um, help serve people in need. Um, so I actually uh, ended up spending a year in Honduras working as a volunteer at an orphanage. Um, it was called an orphanage, but it was really for people, um, for children who had been neglected or whose parents were unable to afford um, to continue to care for them. And so I spent, I spent a year there and got a really up-close look at real poverty, um, at real discrimination, at real um, lack of even adequate or you know, basic health care um, amenities. And I, I remember at the time feeling somewhat you know, cavalier as, as a young person off to change the world saying, you know, gosh, well, I'm getting to live how the majority of the, the world lives. And a friend of mine said, um, who was there with me, she said, well, Jennifer, no, you're not because you can leave at any time. And it just sort of struck me how unfair it was that um, because of the economic situation in which I grew up, because of the color of my skin, because of the country I lived in, um, I was able to have opportunities that others weren't. Um, and so it was there that I actually started learning about, about public health and then um, my, after my year in Honduras, I went straight to Tulane University and um, sought a master in public health as well as social work. Wow. So then uh, once you graduated, where did you go after that? Um, to Tulane. Yeah. When I, after I graduated yeah. Tulane, mm -hmm. where did I go? Well, I got a job after I graduated from Tulane. I worked, um, my first job was actually more in the, on the social work side of things. I worked at a residential facility for people living with HIV. 
Mm. Um, and so we were a small um, facility of about 18 rooms. Um, and it had started in the late 80s when um, people were coming and needed sort of a, a homey place to live out the end of their lives. Um, at the time that I worked there in the um, early 90s was sort of at the advent of all of the medications for people living with HIV and was extending their lives. Um, and so we ended up dealing with um, lots of issues related to um, substance abuse, mental health, um, and making sure that the folks that lived there had access to adequate care. So I was curious about that just because um, hearing you say social work and mm -hmm. MPH, um, I don't know that that's always a common in intersection, mm -hmm. but to me that's as public health as you get mm -hmm. or can get when you think about mental health. So um, yeah. I guess, you know, I, I'm thinking about what, what excites you and where mm -hmm. your passions are with public health mm -hmm. um, now. And, and what are you most excited about when you think about public health? Yeah. Um, well, you know, when I, so when I did the social work degree in public health at the time, there were only three schools in the country that offered that um, oh. dual degree, and now there are, there are many more. Um, but I'm I'm super excited that I was able to find that because I think that social work and public health um, have proved to be a really excellent complement. Um, and so, in in terms of what I'm excited about now um, in public health, is this shifting of our understanding of the true underlying impacts of health. And so that it's not about individual choice necessarily. It's not about um, whether or not I have access to the greatest health care in the world, but there are underlying factors um, such as oppression, such as racial injustice, um, things that this country, quite frankly, was founded on um, that are impacting our health today. Um, and in social work, we sort of always knew that, you know, so in the mm -hmm. world of social work, when we would work with individual clients, but we would do what we call biopsychosocial assessments. So we were understanding the individual in their context and as a product mm -hmm. of their context mm -hmm. versus, um, you know, an individual with complete control and autonomy in their lives. Um, and so as I've watched this discussion over the last few years in public health go to understanding, oh, wait a minute, there are these other factors like where somebody lives, like whether they have access to a grocery store or whether they have access to health care or educational opportunities, economic opportunities. Um, it's been kind of an interesting journey for me to see that discussion happening in public health when we'd already had that a while ago in, in social work. Um, so I, fi I find that really exciting that we're starting to understand um, people in their context uh, and not just as individuals completely responsible for their own health choices. Sure. And, you know, it's kind of off topic, but listening to you talk about your background um, and training gets me more excited about my own. I forgot that... Um, I guess in, in common with you that I was in a psychology public health mm -hmm. dual degree program. It was the only kind in California, mm -hmm. but maybe now more and more have come about these mm -hmm. kind of uh, dual degree cross pollination, what mm -hmm. ultimately allows us to have a better, bigger context yep. for public health. And um, that, yes, mm -hmm. I mean, definitely with, with social work and I, I can see how the things you're excited about um, go back to um, your history. Mm -hmm. So 
public health is changing, um, mm -hmm. and and you know, for us to anticipate the issues of of what we'll face in the 21st century is going to require a lot of different things. I'm mm -hmm. wondering what you think some of the things um, are that are needed in terms of skills for managing change, leading mm -hmm. change. Um, what what do you think about that yeah. idea? Um, so a couple a couple of things. I mean, I think the the big areas of shift right now are related to moving from individual health to population health and sort of what that means exactly. And so for a health department leader, that might mean how do I go from um, a primarily clinical services approach to where we have nurses who are, um, you know, checking, mm -hmm. who, are, who are seeing patients on a regular basis to how do we really actually reach into the community and engage the community and serve the community um, at a at a higher a higher level than just individual care, and so I've seen I've experienced a number of um, you know health departments go through that transition, and and it's it's difficult for leaders to navigate, um, but many have done it successful successfully, um, and then the other area that I'm thinking about um, is navigating this, understanding that. I work in public health, my degree is public health, I understand epidemiology, I understand the history of public health, um, I understand the basic public health sciences, but now you're telling me I have to like do something about poverty, and now you're telling me I have to focus on racial injustice, and how do I even do that? Where, where do I even begin? Um, yeah. Where? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know the answer to my own question, but um, you know, I mean, I, I think that uh, there is this sense of I think what I've seen is kind of almost a gut reaction to that is well, mm -hmm. that's not my lane, you know, that's yeah. that's somebody else's lane, and so I think the leadership challenge is being able to bridge um, what is the public health lane with those other. Um, the lanes. And so, in short, I think multi-sector partnerships are hugely important. Um, we tend to focus on partnerships within our own comfort zone and not uh, necessarily engaging partners that we wouldn't normally work with, like organizations who are fighting for racial justice, like organizations who are um, engaged in criminal justice reform or mass incarceration or um, educational opportunity and, and things like that. So for leaders, um, I think the challenge is really how to meaningfully engage with those other sectors. And that goes beyond um, you know, a phone conversation to learn about what each other does. It goes beyond, you know, signing a memorandum of understanding that will support each other um, to get funding for a grant, um, et cetera. And so um, I think from my perspective, the, the leadership opportunity there is really about going to those other tables, not inviting these partners to your table, but actually taking the time to go to those tables. And then for the staff that you manage, um, how are you allowing them or encouraging them to engage other partners in their work? How are you encouraging them to go out to attend other partner meetings to learn about what else is going on in the community? Is that a metric of success? Is that something that you put on a performance review? For example, how many new partners have you made this year? How have you engaged a partner in your work? Um, and so I think really thinking about how do we get out of our comfort zone and out of our um, 
you know, sort of our usual day-to-day work to think about issues and partners that we can engage with to impact those upstream determinants of health. It sounds like, you know, you're kind of, um, you know, it, you have to have some faith in the process. You know, I'm imagining mm-hmm. doing what you're saying, going to these organizations, um, finding a way to, to offer my, my time, if there's a way mm-hmm. I can learn before I, I, I visit them, um, and then really not knowing where it's going to go. And... Um, having some faith that, you know, you're going to need those experiments Mm -hmm. to see where things stick, where connections may exist that you don't understand at this point, but to still kind of trust that process that you're outlining. Yeah. And it really, it goes, you know, back even to funders trusting that process. And so um, for those of us that receive federal funding, it's often very clear that we want you to reach X number mm-hmm. of people or reduce this disease by X percent, and you need to do it by tomorrow, um, and here's how we want you to do it, and here's how we'll tell you whether it's successful or not. Um, whereas what you're describing is more of a collective impact sort of approach where you are remaining open to the opportunities that exist and seeing what solutions might emerge from that and what solutions a community might propose. And it's uncomfortable because you don't know going in whether it's going to be a success or not. Um, I can assure you either way something will be learned. Um, and so I hope that you know in the future funders will be a little bit more flexible in um, you know what they're requiring us in terms of requiring of us in terms of, of programs and, and delivery. I was um, reminded of um, many years ago I worked on a program with the CDC called the National Public Health Performance Standards. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if you've ever heard of these standards. So the National Public Health Performance Standards program were intended, the standards were intended to help a community assess how well its public health system was functioning. Um, And what actually happened is as people came together to assess their public health system, they developed relationships um, and they developed partnerships and they learned about what this organization is doing and that organization is doing. And so the result was they were better equipped to to assure the public's health together than they were before they had come together. Whether or not this actual tool truly assessed the capacity of that system is another question. This um, coming together was sort of an unintended consequence but truly beneficial in those communities. And so we have to be open and flexible to um, sometimes there's a a result that we didn't anticipate, but it's better than what we anticipated. So I'm thinking about the work that you do in um, supporting all the public health training centers, the work you have done with all of the different centers, as well as Mm -hmm. public health institutes across um, the country. And when I say systems thinking, I'm wondering what are, what are ways that systems thinking has helped you mm-hmm. in, in your role? Right, so for me, I think the idea of systems thinking really plays into what we were just talking about, about partnerships um, and understanding that um, there are more factors and more people involved in any solution. And instead of saying, I want to accomplish X with my new public health program, you really have to do more observing and more listening to how the pieces and the people and the policies are working together to try to identify those levers 
where you can actually impact some change by um, just identifying a small opportunity in a, in a greater system. I think often the tendency I would have had is to sort of forge ahead with a strong belief and a, you know, an idea for a program and we need to make this happen. It might not be the right time, it might not be the mm -hmm. right environment, you might not have mm -hmm. the right people engaged, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. by keeping your ears open and your eyes open and just really watching, you mm -hmm. can find that opportunity and say, oh, now is when we can take our step forward. So, um, diagnosing, really, the, is, is a good mm -hmm. kind of a, a piece where, you know, you're really nicely describing this, and I, I'm thinking about your role with the PHLN. Do you feel like the, the PHLN, ha or, or you have um, a sense of what might be opportunities mm -hmm. for PHTCs to kind of further the work of yeah. public health? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, right now we have been working collectively as the Public Health Learning Network for about five years. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's sort of the, the concrete things that we do. We provide training to people working mm -hmm. in public health. We now have this new resource that is the Public Health Learning Navigator where people can go access training. Um, we are making sure that people who work in public health are able to have the education and training they need to do their jobs effectively. But there's also an undercurrent to the work we do, um, sub-motivation, if you will, and that is really about raising the bar on quality learning in public health. Um, we in public health get the short shrift of education. Um, so we have a lot of instances where health departments are struggling with limited or no resources to develop and provide training for their staff. Um, we have instances where we have um, multiple trainings on a single topic that are being developed all across the country. Um, and so if somebody goes to look for training, they don't know what training is there and if it's any good, if they find it. Um, and so what we're really trying to do is say that the public health workforce is public health. The value of public health is only as good as, as we value the public health workforce. And we can value the public health workforce by saying they deserve high quality educational opportunities because they are protecting the public's health. And this is pretty important. And so we want to raise the, um, we want to, place the, we want to raise the value of the public health workforce in the community's eyes and we want to raise the value of public health education in the community's eyes. So we're really trying to sort of raise the bar um, across the field on um, what is quality public health practice and what is the quality learning you need for that practice. Um, and I guess I'm indirectly hearing raising the expectation of the audience of, of that they can expect it, they should ask for it. Um, demand it. Demand it, and that we also need to advocate that they, they need that and what that looks like. Because, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's a privilege to even have the resources to have a training center. And, um, but we're all kind of still within our regions but there's, you know, to, to share across that coordination um, can be really, really challenging. Mm -hmm. When we're trying to address those local needs, um, but ultimately we have these system 
kind of uh, skills that are, are cross-cutting. Mm -hmm. And um, so giving a good story, making that argument, I'm thinking about you know persuasive communication is another skill. And um, I'm just wondering what you think the pieces of persuasive communication are important in, in mm -hmm. advocating. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in, in short, I don't know if this actually directly answers your question, but what I've been hearing for years and what I believe is we just have to do a better job in um, communicating about the value of our work. And I think we approach that by saying, well, let's tell people this is important. Let's tell people about what we do. When really, I think there's more of a, um, you know, there's the why of what we do. I don't know if you've heard this. There's somebody called Simon Sinek. Yes, thank you. Yes, who talks the golden about, circle. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So instead of telling people what you do, you start with the why. Um, and I don't think we're doing a great job of starting with the why. Um, I know that's something I'm practicing in my own life and my own work. I, I tend to want to start off by saying, well, I do X, Y, Z, and here's, mm -hmm. you know, here's the result of that without mm -hmm. kind of getting at the why. Um, sometimes that involves having to be a little bit more personal um, about ourselves. Like a lot of us got into public health, myself included, mm -hmm. for really personal mm -hmm. reasons and really personal motivations. Well, your story of Honduras, I mean, I'm thinking, wow. You know, I love that I know that about you because mm -hmm. that is, that's, mm -hmm. I'm there. I yeah. can imagine myself being there as you're describing it, thinking, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, this is where your passion comes from. Yeah, and I see, I see us often at these conferences um, stand behind our podiums and talk about the science. And there's a real story there. I mean, you know, there are, um, I heard somebody speaking recently about having lost a child in um, childbirth. You know, and that's what brought her to public health. When I think of per persuasive communication, I think that we need to do a better job of in embracing the why we're in this field in the first place and communicating about that. Because that's what will get people to pay attention, not specifically standing behind a podium and talking about the science with a million PowerPoint slides. So when I think about you talking about the importance of connecting with all of these sectors, you know, ultimately, um, we have data, that's what you know, we're trained to do, but we're not trained to show up as people with mm -hmm. our stories that embed the passion, the, the purpose, mm -hmm. you know, what is vocation about social justice or bringing mm -hmm. communities together. And ultimately, I'm gonna get emotional, that's what it's about. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I think, mm -hmm. I think um, you just being able to, to say that idea of, we need to bring ourselves to the table. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think about authentic leadership, you know, mm -hmm. being a piece of, of uh, connecting with others and communicating in a more deeper way to mm -hmm. actually have a conversation outside of just, you know, yeah. here and kind of connecting like the below the neck conversations. Um, that we don't know how to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I, I'm just saying a lot of things, but um, in terms of how do our own stories help um, reduce stigma, help bring to the center of the stage where most people in that large auditorium could say either someone in their family mm -hmm. or somebody um, very close to them 
has cancer mm -hmm. or they've they've been interfaced with cancer. Um, I'm sure uh, many more people could tell much more um, um, I, difficult stories about mental illness mm -hmm. and addiction and things that they're not going to be able to just stand up in a room and say this is why we need to do this mm -hmm. um, and, and only talking about it and to be in a position in a leadership role and say this is what happens regardless of mm -hmm. where you are in life yeah. and that um, we need to protect our workforce we need to have a healthy community and when the number one reason for absenteeism at work is mental health related it's this silent issue that is a public health academic mm -hmm. uh, epidemic so mm -hmm. i think okay you've really kind of pushed my hot button you know with this issue um, because it's very difficult i think to be the person to have that courageous conversation and say you know what um, I, I have this issue and mm -hmm. I've had many public health leaders come to me at the end of their talk because they know that um, I'm in the mental health field, mm -hmm. that they have a mental health condition, but it's after the talk and um, they want those resources for their community, they want the resources for themselves, um, but they feel very um, reluctant and in, in very indirect ways to just kind of um, that it's too risky, mm -hmm. you know? And we think about what's too risky in public health and what's at risk if we don't. Right. I, I don't know, but. I do feel like that level of um, honesty about, you know, our own lives and what brought us to public health is really crucial for us to not just acknowledge, but embrace, you know, if we really wanna demonstrate the value of this work. I think we need to talk about it more honestly and why we're doing it more honestly. Well, you know, in terms of like a, um, a skill thing, you know, someone I just uh, talked to was telling me about Stephen Covey's book that talked mm -hmm. about uh, trust mm -hmm. and building trust and really trust is about someone's character and someone's competency. So real kind of clean yeah. definitions. Um, but really when you, um, I think about authentic courage and vulnerability is the trust level just, it changes it completely within mm -hmm. a minute of mm -hmm. what you couldn't do even within a year of just yeah. kind of that, that podium cocktail, you know, level discussion. So, you know, when I think back to persuasive communication, I really think about, you know, where can you build trust in real mm -hmm. ways mm -hmm. to do the difficult work of public health? Yeah. And I, you know, so in, that's in being authentic and that's as a leader being willing to say, I don't know all of the answers. Mm -hmm. um, can you help me? Uh, let's figure this out together. You know, we tend to put a real focus on in our society is, is the leader in the leadership role as responsible for everything. And so if something happens within an organization, it's the leader who gets fired. Well, you're sort of you're a, you're a group of people working together. You're a, you're a collective, right? Each um, leader is only as good as the folks that are co-leading, uh, if you will. So we have this kind of individualistic view of leadership when it's really it's a collaborative effort that everybody plays a different role in. Yeah, and I like what you're saying about really kind of practicing your ability to say I don't have the answer mm -hmm. and let me find it out, or just 
you know, not mm -hmm. being so pers prescriptive or... Yeah. Um, I've had people tell me that. that, you know, and I, uh, for people that I work with, always offer opportunities um, for them to give me feedback so I can continually be improving. And, you know, I've been told that that's one of the things that folks that work with me appreciate the most is that I often say, I don't know, <laughs> let's go figure it out together, and that that's okay. Um, and so I really, you know, I appreciate that in others as well. So what I'm hearing is kind of building trust with your partners, but really within your own organization, within your staff, that that's yeah. really, you know, you're needing to kind of model that level of integrity all the way through, mm -hmm. um, ultimately, yeah. in, a, in a good scenario. Is there um, anything else that you think um, would be helpful in terms of what would help prepare a future public health leader, someone just getting into the field or um, just in this work now? Yeah, I think um, I would in encourage um, emerging leaders, folks that are just getting into the field to really continue to push us. Um, it feels a little like public health is sort of um, opening itself up to the world in a way and saying we need new partners, we need help, we need to communicate better, we need to understand systems. And I think having a, you know, a generation of young leaders coming into the field, I hope they would continue to push us in that direction. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, sharing your insights. Thanks. And um, it's just a real pleasure to meet with you. Good to talk with you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining us with this leadership series, and we hope that you will come again to listen to a future leadership session. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you tune in for the next episode of Share Public Health. Special thanks to our guests and to Katie Brandert, Brandon Grimm, Joy Harris, Roger Heilman, Janine Moody, Melissa Richland, Hannah Schultz, and Lori Wachner with the Midwestern Public Health Training Center. Theme music was composed and produced by Dave Hoeing and Roger Heilman. Funding for this webinar is provided by the Health Resources and Services Administration. Please see the podcast notes for an evaluation and transcript.